When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your postgame Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarine, State the Barrett, Stephen Means, Ohio State beats Toledo 77 to 21. And I want to start with CJ Stroud, guys, because I I don't know if we really do this. Let's pretend we do. CJ Stroud's really good. Ohio State's passing game is really good. And I don't, it's not that you take it for granted, but a game like this where they did whatever they want against a clearly overmatched opponent, right? Um, I was looking around college football, Nathan, and just as a reminder, this isn't normal. CJ Stroud, 22 of 27, 367, and five touchdowns. There were a lot of teams, Nathan, that played overmatched opponents on Saturday. But even within that, when the Ohio State passing game is on and when C.J. Stroud is in control, I do think it's kind of a level above almost anything else in college football. I went to the Toledo post game and was there with uh, Jason Candle, the Toledo coach, and he said, we know that we played a monster tonight. That offensively, the first half, could have been the best offensive performance by a quarterback I've seen. That's what we're talking about, Nathan. Like when C.J. Stroud is on, it's as good as people in college football have ever seen in their lives. And I think we got a little bit of that on Saturday. Yeah, I think we definitely got a flash of that on Saturday. And you're right that we I think we probably do take it for granted. I think that probably is maybe the word to use. It's almost like uh, like a band has a great album. And then if the next album is exactly what they did before even if it's just as great, you're kind of left like, well, okay, but we've heard that. Like, what's the next thing? And it can be hard. You we're asking them to like sort of top themselves all the time. And actually it's, it's probably even more to the point. Like we've seen CJ Stroud do what he did today to Toledo against teams that we thought might be even better, like Michigan state last year. Although I know they had a bad secondary. I'm just, it's tonight though, was the first night. You don't even have to look around the rest of college football tonight to other teams. Just look at where Ohio state was a week ago where they could put up 45 points, but still kind of a little clunky at times in the three and outs they had that night. And 
whatever Ryan Day explained it by the way Arkansas State was playing defensively that night a little bit but tonight was clearly and we only got like personnel wise you only actually saw the the peak offense together for one series because then Trevian Henderson gets banged up but for the from a passing game standpoint this was all weapons on display and locked in in a way that we hadn't seen yet this year it was almost like the Michigan State game last year, Stephen, when, when CJ threw six touchdown passes in the first half against Michigan State. He didn't throw six touchdown passes in the first half this time, but they scored on all six drives that they had in the first half. Eight plays, 82 yards, six plays, 75 yards, five plays, 59 yards, seven plays, 71 yards, seven plays, 75 yards, and nine plays, 89 yards, Stephen. It was that precision, smooth, poised, accurate, in control, C.J. Stroud, that when he's at his best, Stephen, it looks easy. C.J. Stroud has four games in his career where he's completed at least 80% of his passes. This is the first time it didn't come against a Power 5 opponent. The other three are Utah, Michigan State, where it was 91%, and then Purdue. I mean, he's boring good. You know, it's stuff where you it's almost you got to go look at the numbers to realize what he's doing out there sometimes where I mean, the guy he's going to be compared to until he's done playing football, at least until they get drafted. Bryce Young, he has those moments that you can kind of latch on to as the average watcher of football. While with CJ, it is a little bit more after the fact of like you thought CJ was good today. And then you go look at the box score and you go, oh, man, he completed 81 percent of his passes. Who knew he was doing that out there? And, and I do think we have to be careful with this. Coming in, I mean, we talked about it. You know, Toledo was probably somewhere between the 60th and 70th best team in college football. This is not a team in the 110s. Their offense is clearly more dangerous than their defense because Daquan Finn, the Toledo quarterback, who we will talk about a little bit, you know, did some things that really would translate a lot of places. You know, they have a couple guys on defense, Dallas Gant, the former Ohio State linebacker, that kind of thing. but they are not going to stack up 11 on 11 against Ohio state's offense, but Nathan, we can't come into the game and say, Oh, I don't know. Toledo's pretty decent. And then have Ohio state take them apart and be like, ah, Toledo sucks. Cause like Toledo doesn't suck. Toledo might win 10 games this year. Toledo might win the Mac. They're not incompetent. I actually expected more from Toledo defensively than what we saw tonight. They were a doormat tonight. Like Ohio State, like just walked over them, wiped their feet. They had they had no resistance to Ohio State defensively tonight. And I expected more because last year, and I'm just looking, if you're just going by pure numbers, they were like a top 20 defense, pass defense last year nationally. Now, again, that doesn't get that. That's not normalized for opponents. I'm just talking about. Pure. I think that was just by yards per attempt. And then tonight, coming into tonight, they had allowed like 2.6 yards per attempt, I, which I know they're playing nobody. I mean, but, but like, but like they're literally like that really was meaningless for this year. It's literally meaningless. That's still, but even, even against meaningless, even against terrible opponents, that is a crazy low number. And but it's incredibly terrible, like middle school opponents. Fine. All I'm saying is I expected more from Toledo's defense. I expected them to, again, adjusted for level of competition. I expect them to be able to put up some resistance, and there was really none tonight. Now, having said that, you tonight, again, put the set the numbers aside, set like the pure volume numbers aside a little bit, and some of the throws C.J. Stroud made tonight 
do remind you of how special he is in some ways more than the numbers. Because we've seen guys, if you get in an offense where they throw it enough, you can put up some numbers. But I remembering the one pass, and Stephen, you sent, I think, uh, I remember it was a tweet or a text in that moment saying that there was that that drill that Ryan Day has quarterbacks run in the summer where you have to basically throw a ball that's like right. You have to almost like scrape the top of the net or whatever. The one inch drill. Yeah, yeah. the one inch drill. And he ran that drill tonight for a a big game down the sideline. There were another couple throws that I thought were, were fantastic. There was actually also a couple of plays where uh, we don't know how the receiver kept their feet in. Like this receiving core is, is impressing me a little bit more week by week too. And that's saying something because we came in with pretty high expectations for them, but, but with Stroud, I, I think what you saw tonight was um, with, with a full complement of weapons, even if Toledo turns out to be better defensively down the line, th- there's nobody at that level has seen what he is and what he can do. He's explosive and incredibly efficient at the same time. And Stephen, Jason Candle did talk about the toe taps, right? He said there must have been four or five plays where guys either on the sideline or the back line are barely getting their feet in. Marvin Harrison Jr. did it for a touchdown. Julian Fleming did it for a touchdown. It is, it's kind of like NFL level stuff, right? Where it's like, there's not a window here, but the quarterback and the receiver create a window that few would create. Stroud has NFL throws because he's being developed to be an NFL quarterback. But I think this is where having a former NFL wide receiver as your wide receivers coach comes into play. Because I remember Garrett and Chris talking about this when they came for the project. They're taught get two feet in. They don't get taught the one foot that you have to have in college. They're getting taught to catch balls the way you do in the NFL. And so I think tonight – especially Marvin Harrison Jr. on both of his touchdown catches, you're seeing that. And I even think Julian Fleming, he had both his feet in. I mean, it's questionable whether he had full possession of the ball because it was bobbing a little bit, but both of his feet were in when he caught that ball. And so I think the recruiting, all that stuff is great. That skill is, I think, where Brian Hartline really separates himself because I'm not sure that's a thing everywhere. Like how many toe touches, toe scrapes have there been already? It's only been three games. It feels like there's been one or two a night, all three of these games. And, of course, we mentioned the fact that they did this again, basically without Jackson Smith and Jigba, who played a few series, had three targets, two catches for 33 yards, Nathan. I, I get, is this what we expected? He, did, he was out of there fairly early. While they still had CJ and the other, you know, other guys from the first-team offense were still out there, he, he was gone. Uh, it felt like maybe they were hanging, you know, hanging a safety over top of him, trying to take him away a little bit. He's probably not back a hundred percent, but it's, it's like he played, but he didn't really factor in. And I don't know what we make of that. Well, yeah. I mean, Toledo was playing kind of that, I guess you call it like an umbrella coverage. And I think they were taking him away a little bit. Uh, And the fact he got out of the game too affects that. I, I don't think they put him in, as a decoy, I don't think he was put in there in any way uh, to where they weren't going to throw to him if he was open or anything like that. He did get a couple of receptions. Um, I think part of it is, though, you you know, C.J. Stroud these past couple of weeks has been building a rapport with 
uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Obuka, apparently, uh, especially because that's a little bit more of a newer connection. And you're seeing that build a little each week because we saw it last year happen with Jackson Smith and Jigbo, where he, the you know, three of the first five weeks, I think he only had two catches. And then the, the rest of it really clicked in from in the back two thirds of the season. And it took a little while to warm up. And I think you saw over these three games that it's starting to to pick up with those guys. So, I mean, uh, now you've got those three guys um, between Jackson Smith, the Jigman, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka, who are playing like they would be the best receiver on basically any team in the Big Ten. And now you're throwing Julian Fleming into that mix, too. I think Jackson Smith, the Jigman served his purpose tonight. And I don't think they were came into the night thinking, okay, we're going to use Jackson Smith the Jigba as a decoy. But I think they saw very quickly that Toledo decided we're going to sell out and make sure he doesn't have one of those Jackson nights against us. And so the play calling kind of dictated that they started using him like that. Because there were a couple of times where you can almost see Jackson's running a certain route to take away all these different because it's basically a safety in a corner on him at all times. And he they he cleared people out and it got caged over one of his maybe one or two of his catches. I think one of Marvin Harrison's catches was Jackson Smith the Jig, but just clearing everybody out because who he is, who he is. And so I think that's that's just as important as the 15 catch 250 point night games he's gonna have because he's gonna have some of those as well. But it's just as important that he's just on the field. And because he, he's Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and no team is just going to ignore him. We'll be curious to see what happens next week against Wisconsin. Yeah. Both Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith and Jigba were listed as game time decisions by Ohio State. Both went through warmups, both played. So that was progress compared to the first two games of the season. Emeka Buka, seven catches on eight targets for 116. Marvin Harrison Jr., six catches on six targets for 102. Cade Stover, three catches on five targets for 83. Jackson Smith and Jigba, two catches on three targets for 33. Julian Fleming, three catches on three targets for 23. Jaden Ballard had four catches on four targets for 113, but that was in when, you know, when the starters were out. Um, you, it's, I don't know. We talked about it coming into the season, and I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the difference is, but they have decided to throw to the tight end and Cade Stover linebacker at heart linebacker in body linebacker in everything linebacker in in head, in soul, in feet, in pickup truck, in shirt, (laughs) in jeans. He's a linebacker, but he has hands. He has, he made a catch on the sideline that was like, boom, hands. I don't – he made some catches down the seam. It's the things that they kind of didn't really do all that much last year or didn't really do all that much, I don't know, in the entire career of Jeremy Ruckert. Nathan, they're doing it. I do think Steven makes a point that there are some things happening where things are being cleared out and opened up, and Cade Stover is the beneficiary of that. But, man, he's taking advantage of the opportunities, and, and CJ's getting it to him. Like, he's looking for it. And we certainly have not always seen that. I don't know that I would have believed it because I know in the August, they're like, oh, Cade Stover, you should see his hands are coming along. It's like, okay, I don't. But it, they, were, they weren't lying. They lie sometimes or they hyperbolize because everybody looks yeah. great in practice. We'll get but into that is, when we talk about this availability report later on. The yeah, spot. this is real. Like Cade Stover is part of the offense because 
they're so worried about all the other guys, and he's taking advantage of the opportunities. Again, he's not catching six yards. The Browns throw their tight ends every throws for six yards. He had three catches for 83 yards, which is great, Nathan, for a tight end. Yeah, I would actually say even more than the linebacker heart, he's probably a farmer or like a rancher at heart, and then a linebacker, and then a tight end. I, I think one of the differences here that we can't forget, and I'm not trying to to um, be the turd in the Cade Stover punch bowl here. I think this is I'd I, and it, I'd have to go back and actually look at the in, games to give an answer to this, and it actually be impossible to answer. But are teams defending him differently than they defended Jeremy Ruckert? or differently than they defended Luke Farrell, who were known commodities, as opposed to Cade Stover, who if you were reading any coverage of Ohio State and kind of reading between the lines coming into a year, and you don't have a lot of film on him, and the film you do have from last year, he wasn't doing much as a receiver, you might be like, well, this really isn't going to be his forte. And now we might see teams try to match up differently with him now that he has put some of this on film. But there were also some play, like the one play tonight, I thought was just really good play design. And it's it's also the other thing to remember here is the second year of a quarterback who knows how to use all of his weapons probably a little bit better than he did at this time last year. Like on the one play, Stover like hung back to block or looked like he was hanging back to block and then just had this late release up the seam and there was just nobody. There was just nobody around. Like he he had to throw it to him for a huge game. Like if he hadn't thrown it to him, we'd be sitting here talking right now about how like what was CJ Stroud doing when he threw to anybody but the one guy that nobody was guarding on that play. So uh, some of this is the also the development of I, I just I wonder if I wonder if teams approach it differently, but I also wonder if CJ Stroud with a second run through a second year run through and put Jeremy Ruckert back in. If it doesn't make Jeremy Ruckert a better receiver also. Uh, I think it has a lot more to do with CJ Stroud than it does with who the tight ends are, because we kind of saw a similar thing with Justin in year two. I don't think what we saw from Justin in that sugar bowl where the tight ends were getting all those touchdowns would have happened in year one of Justin Fields. It's just you being a better quarterback and sense of CJ's getting to his second and third and fourth reads this year in a way that, quite frankly, he didn't have to last year because, as we've said time and time again, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith, the Jigbo were five yards open all the time. And that wasn't necessarily the case coming into this season with Marvin and Emeka, especially once Jackson went down. And so there have been more opportunities where CJ's getting to read three, and read three is the tight end. And so I think that's part of why Cade Stover is a little bit more involved is because Kevin Wilson even said that a little bit, the, the fact that, well, CJ just wasn't getting to He was open. He just wasn't getting to him because Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were open all the time, which is fine. Yes, if, you're, if your first read is open, you throw it to the first read. But because CJ, one, he's scrambling around a little bit more, but also he's had to get the reads two, three, four, and five. We're seeing other people get involved in this offense in a way that wouldn't have happened last year. Does it also feel like there's been less horizontal stuff in this offense so far? Less, throwing it down less, the of the, yeah. less of the long handoffs. And I think I was I, I thought about this last weekend when I was watching NFL games about how the use of the tight end in the NFL sometimes feels like that extension of the run game almost. Because you're right, Doug, it is a lot of like shorter passes that way. And I'm wondering if that is also sort of what's happening here. They're not doing as much horizontal stuff, but 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 Stover almost becomes another way to like extend the run game, except not tonight. It was, it was, it was definitely vertical. 
Eight for 137. Eight catches. I think that's right. Am I looking at it right? Eight catches, 137 yards through the first three games for Cade Stover. Last year through the first three games, Jeremy Ruckert had six catches for 81 yards. So it's not just, it's not just the volume. It's like the impact. Again, it's like he, mm-hmm. he had 230 plus yard catches today. And, and I think both of them were, he just got out in his route and ran right past the linebacker that the linebacker was kind of flat footed. was like, okay, here comes this linebacker guy. And then it was like, Oh my God, he ran right past me. And here we go. And CJ's like, boom, bang, here we go. Um, and, but it is, I do think, and I, and again, Maybe this is like the underestimate. I don't. Steven. Kate Stover is a very good football player. And they had to figure out, just like with all these guys, I had a long conversation with Cam Martinez after the game tonight, right? You know what I think Cam Martinez is? I think he's a very good football player. So they had to figure out where to use him. He was an offensive guy and, and everything as a quarterback in high school, played some. Now he's a defensive guy, had to figure that out. Kate Stover, we thought was going to be a linebacker. Now he's a tight end, had to figure that out. But I think, again, I just I love when guys find a role because I don't like when anybody gets caught in a crack and falls through the cracks and is is left in between. Cam Martinez, in his own way, has found his role. And Cade Stover, listen, I think, Stephen, it is one of these. They finally just told Cade Stover what to do. And he's like, yeah, "Yeah, no, I'm good at this. Okay, this is it for sure. We're done, right? No more of the other stuff. This for sure. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be like, ramming my body into a tackling demo anymore. I'm going to be doing the jugs machine. Are we sure? All right, then it's on. And here we go. Yeah, there is something to all these guys are good football players, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily good at the position they play. And Cade Stover had to lock in to learn how to play tight end because he's always been good at playing football. I mean, he would be at Ohio State if he wasn't. And Cam Martinez is probably going through a similar thing where it's like, I've always been good at football, but that doesn't mean I'm good at being a a slot corner, nickel set, whatever they want to call it, a defensive back at that specific thing. And that's maybe the difference between those guys and then people like Jackson Smith and the Jigba, who has been a wide receiver his entire life. So there's just not that learning curve he has to go through, which is why – the athleticism's there for Kate Stover. So the moment he locks into that, maybe this yeah. was always on the table. I also thought, Nathan, and as you guys know, I, I, I wasn't at the game last week. Maybe they were doing this last week too. CJ came out and was making free money throws like early. It's like, oh, a 10-yard out? Okay, let's do that. Which is, you know, Justin lived on free money, which is like it's only free because you can make a throw from, you know, to the far hash to, you know, from the far hash to the sideline for 10 or 12 yards and make it look easy. And the defense is so worried about getting beat deep that they're playing off on some of those. And he hit the Buka for a couple of those early. Mm-hmm. And it is a reminder. Sometimes you watch a team and they will work so hard to get three yards. It's like the, they snap his quarterback and he looks and he looks and he gets to his third read and he escapes the pocket. And he runs over here and then he dodges a guy and he makes a throw and it's three yards. And then CJ Stroud comes out and goes, boop. And it's like, I don't know. What was that? Like a four yard gain. It's like, no, it was a first down. It was a free first down. And when you get the free money working, it's, I mean, I get it Toledo. You don't want to have guys hit you over the top, but you start off taking free money. And before you know it, you know, you're casting checks all night. I say it was 11 of 13 on third down tonight. That's stupid. They were, I think they were four for four in the first half. 
I know it was, I think it was seven or the first eight. And then I, that was about the time they pulled Stroud from the game. Yeah. So I think that was when I really stopped paying attention to that. Um, but then that would have been four of their last five too. Four, first half was six, six touchdowns on six possessions, four to four on third down, 10.5 yards per play was their first they had, half. They had 30 it, first downs before CJ Stroud left the game. Yeah. It's just, it, and we, the one nitpick you came out of last week with on offense was those three and outs. And we were kind of wondering like, what's again, what, what, how are you this explosive, but then also that susceptible to the three and outs. I think that was a point of emphasis this week. And uh, I think you can check that box. They had none because even the one they punted, it was six plays. They moved the ball a little bit. Yeah, and then when they did punt, it got down at the one yard line. <laughs> yeah, got got a stop, forced a punt, had a thirty nine yard touchdown drive right after it. There are a few things more beautiful than a coffin corner punt, and uh, Jesse Mirko or Jesse Micro, as he was called in the on the press box oh. announcer tonight. Uh, he really that was one of the coffinest corners I've seen in a while. So I just wanted to do this because I did want to put a tiny little context in this. To reminder, C.J. Stroud, twenty two of twenty seven. 367, five touchdowns, no picks against an overmatched opponent. We get it. I looked up the stats of some of the other big-time quarterbacks around college football and what they did on Saturday. Bryce Young against Louisiana Monroe, who I don't know, I assume is the Toledo of the South. Bryce Young, 13 of 18, 236, three touchdowns, two picks. I think those are his first two picks of the year, but those were two picks. Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma, who was a big-time quarterback at UCF and transferred to Oklahoma this year. Nebraska, completely – it's a Big Ten team, but they're completely overmatched, Nebraska. Very good. 16 of 27, 230, two touchdowns, no picks. Like, these are good games, right? That's what I'm trying to get. Like, they're good, right? That's a good game. 16 to 27, 230. But, like, C.J. was 22 of 27, 367, five touchdowns. Let's do a couple more. Stetson Bennett, who's going to win the Heisman, uh, sixteen of. I mean, like he, it's going to be know, like a two, no, it's going to be like a two. I like, I'm not even joking. It's not, it's not know, funny because you're joking that he's going to win the Heisman. It's funny that like we, this is where we are now. Yeah, I get. I think I have to retire the voice. I mean, I don't even know like yeah. what. It's like I just I don't even know what it would be. It, it would be it actually, like it kind of actually would be disrespectful at this point. Like he actually is just coming out and it's like no, like okay, last year. Last year, you could make fun of me, but now this yeah. is happening. He's legit the I, only player in college football with a Heisman Trophy resume right now. It would be, be honest. It would have been like if, like, in 1974, there would have been some guy who's like, there's a peanut farmer who lives down the road for me, and my name's Jim, and I'm going to be a peanut farmer. And then it was like, ah, this guy just kind of make fun of me as a funny voice. It's like, ah, he's president now. You know, and it's like you would just feel like a, like a jackhole. Like, hey, yeah. of all the people in the world to make a joke about, the guy I made a joke about became president. The guy I made a joke about is going to be a back-to-back national champion and a Heisman winner. Stetson Bennett, 16 of 23, 284, two touchdowns, no picks. That's against South Carolina. It's an SEC team, but also South Carolina is not very good. J.J. McCarthy, Michigan has really looked good. They've played nobody. J.J. McCarthy, now the starting quarterback at Michigan, 15 of 18 for 214, no touchdowns because Blake Corum from Michigan ran for five touchdowns on Saturday. But J.J. McCarthy, UConn's horrible. He didn't throw any touchdown passes. 
KJ Jefferson, really good from Arkansas against Missouri State. Missouri State was beating them for a while. 19 of 31, 385. That's good. Two touchdowns, one pick. That's Missouri State, right? DJ Uyunglele, Louisiana Tech. I don't know. Is Louisiana Tech any better than Toledo? I don't think so. 17 of 29, 221, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Like, good, but like, not CJ. Michael Penix, who actually went kind of nuts. Washington might be good. The former Indiana quarterback beats Michigan State, but he's still 24 of 40, right? He's barely over 50% completion. Does throw for 397 and four scores, but it takes it takes 16 in completions to get him there. Tyler Van Dyke, Miami. People thought maybe a dark horse Heisman candidate coming into this season. They lose to Texas A&M. He's 21 of 41 for 217. Hendon Hooker against Akron. Tennessee quarterback, people like him. This is similar. 14 of 18, 298, two touchdowns versus Akron. Devin Leary from NC State was really good last year. They beat Texas Tech 15 of 23 for 121. Anthony Richardson from Florida, who after they beat Utah in the opener was like, hey, everybody was on the Anthony Richardson bandwagon for the Heisman. Against South Florida, 10 of 18 for 112, zero touchdowns, two picks. Like that was the guy who was like in the Heisman conversation for a half an hour, but like, so is CJ Stratus. Like, well, I don't think they're in the same conversation anymore. Talia Tonga-Vailoa versus SMU. That's a good win for Maryland. They, they had 15 penalties against SMU. They beat Maryland. Uh, 17 of 23 for 214, two touchdowns. They score 34 points. He's only 17 of 23, right? And then Aiden O'Connell from Purdue, they chuck it all over the place. Aiden O'Connell, like he's the best, second best statistical quarterback in the Big Ten, but they throw it 80 times a game. They lose to Q's 39 of 55 for 424, three touchdowns and one pick. So my point, Nathan, is all these other people who are like, oh, well, maybe they could be in the Heisman conversation. Oh, these guys are good. Oh, these guys are pretty competent. These guys are talented quarterbacks for good teams. Like they're, it's not even like the same. It's not the same conversation when CJ's CJ. I want to use O'Connell, that last one you ended with, because, again, to go back to the word you used before about the efficiency of it. Last year, C.J. Stroud had the best yards per attempt among all Power 5 quarterbacks. I think it was 10.1. Uh, Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina was higher, but like a, like a yard higher. Um, O'Connell tonight, those numbers you just gave, that's 7.7 yards per attempt. C.J. Stroud tonight was 13.6. So, like mm-hmm. – getting to where you're almost talking about doubling what he did. I know one was playing Syracuse and one was playing Toledo, whatever. Like that. I don't know if that's Toledo might be Syracuse. Toledo might be Syracuse for real. Syracuse is three and oh, and that was on the road, whatever. But I'm just saying that it's, 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 that alone is kind of a reminder of that. He doesn't have to work as hard. He doesn't have, it doesn't take him as long to have these. I shouldn't say not work as hard. That's not what I meant. He doesn't have to uh, have work with the same volume in order to be even more explosive than all these other quarterbacks are. It's very easy for him to get 10 yards on any given play in a way that I don't know if any other, quite frankly, I don't know if there's any other offense, maybe USC, but even that, like Caleb Williams is doing a lot of running around sometimes. I don't know if there's another offense in the country that can get 10 yards as easy as Ohio State can on any given play, which is why we get so confused when they have these three and outs. Caleb Williams for USC. I think he's out of the game because USC is way up with five minutes left as I'm watching this on the screen. 25 of 37, 284, 
two touchdowns. Caleb Williams might get to New York, but that's not, that's not CJ. That's 12 incompletions. He doesn't even have 300 passing yards, right? I mean, it's, it's more attempts. It's fewer yards. It's three fewer touchdowns. It's just. And he's taking some sacks too. Cause like he's got two rushing touchdowns, but only 13 yards. So I'm going to assume he's, there's like a Justin Fields element to him where there's probably three or four sacks. In so listen, we set a high standard for CJ. CJ sets a high standard for CJ. Ryan Day sets a high standard for CJ, right? We, we understand that. And when he doesn't meet it, we talk about it. And he met it. And it was, I, to me, this is Ohio State. I get it. Jim Knowles, run game, be tough. I get it. I get it. I get it. Necessary. I get it. You can't lose. You can't have, you can't lose because of the defense. And last year they lost because of the defense. You can't lose because you can't run the ball on third down. And last year they lost because they couldn't run the ball on third down. But you're going to win, Nathan, by doing this. And this was the Ohio State that lives in my brain. The Ohio State that when I go to a stadium on Saturday, that's the Ohio State that I expect to see. And then when I think about, again, Georgia is, watch out. I think Ohio State's two. I think Ohio State's the second, looks like the second best team in the country through three weeks. And if you're talking in that context, and we talked in that context all last year, and they didn't get there because they couldn't do the other stuff. I'm not being dismissive of the other stuff. But Nathan, this is how they win. This is how they're great. This is how they get over the top. And full effect, we saw it for the first time in this game. And yes, it was Toledo, but you got to see it. And we thought let's, let's also remember, though, the context of what Ryan Day was talking about after the Notre Dame game, because I don't think I heard him say this is how I want to win every night. I think what he said was this is how we had to prove that we could win if we had to. What I think, though, we said it coming out of that night was that's all well and good. But this version of Ohio State had to show up to win a national championship. This is they're not going to grind their way past other great teams, other explosive teams, even a defense first team like Georgia. I don't think you want to get into a slog with them and hope you win 17 to 14. You've got to have the explosiveness and you've got to have the efficiency and a an offense that can easily get untracked. And tonight I thought was it's what it's what they've been building towards. And tonight it sort of arrived. And now it's just a matter of being able to sustain it better than they did last year. Because last year we saw glimpses of it too. We saw it one week before they went up to Ann Arbor. We saw them absolutely just wipe the deck with the team. What we thought was a pretty good team. Again, a team with a bad secondary. But still, to come out and just and just eviscerate Michigan State the way they did, that seemed like they had arrived. And then a week later, it all kind of fell apart. They've got to... Uh, you you know this is the new uh like this is the new floor a little bit and like what are you doing to build off of this over the next nine weeks it fell apart because you didn't have the other things in your toolbox it doesn't have to be your identity but you have to be able to you know, yeah it's got to be in your bag just in case you got to pull it out one time which is a better way to explain what happened in the Notre Dame game it's like we can pull this out if we need to but more importantly what we saw tonight needs to be their bread and butter and after tonight, I don't think anybody has any questions of whether or not that's your bread and butter now that we've seen it with all the weapons involved. 
I do. I do. Don't tell the listeners this. If you guys are, if you're a listener right now, don't listen to this part. I just need to talk to Nathan and Steven real quick. Uh, do you guys think sometimes that like we analyze a whole season as if we're building to something and then actually sometimes it's just like, Hey, they're a good team. And sometimes they're good. And sometimes they're not as good. And I don't know that like it, like, right. right. That, like, like week 11 last year, it was like, Oh, 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 oh my gosh. They built to this. And it was like, nope, week 12. Well, I don't know. What, what are you going to do? So I just don't tell the listeners that though, because they might stop listening because we, we act like they're building to something and that we're stacking blocks. But we should identify with it a little bit, especially in our profession, because this is what reporting and newspapers and stuff like that has always been. It's like no matter how good of an edition you put out today, it all starts over again tomorrow blank and you've got to put out another one. And that's a little bit like what a football season is. It's like no matter what they did tonight, Wisconsin and, and Braylon Allen and Jim Leonard and uh, Nick Harbig and, and this whole group is coming in next week and it's going to be a different challenge that Ohio State's going to have to face in, in possibly some different ways. Words from Coach Baird. Yeah, no, thanks, Coach. No, that was good. Yeah, no. <laughs> that was such coach talk. Um, no, I just think last year we saw Ohio State ceiling and floor within 14 days when they played Michigan State and then Michigan. I don't know what this team's floor is yet, but I think we all know it's ceiling. And we, I mean, we could have predicted that that what we saw tonight was their ceiling, but now we've just at least seen that part. I and, but I, I, and again, but we didn't know when we were going to see it because I'm not trying to, it's like none of us picked yeah. 77. Correct. I mean, you, you know, like we, you guys picked in the 40s, I picked in the 50s. I mean, it's not, we didn't, we didn't, we weren't like, oh, pfft, wow. I don't know, 11 touchdowns against Toledo. Like we didn't know for sure. And so they did it. The, I, I want to cover the second part. We're going to cover the run game. We're going to talk about the injury to Trayvon Henderson. And then the third part, we're going to talk about Ohio State's defense and what they did and didn't do against Daquan Finn. But while we finish up the pass game, Stephen, or who, who talked to Julian Fleming? Was it you, Nathan? You were around a little bit, Julian Fleming? Yeah. Yeah. We, we have to acknowledge this. I mean, I, I just saw one of Julian Fleming's family members um, outside after the game. And it's just like, you know, hey, that that guy got to do something. That guy who's had all this tough injury luck. You know, he didn't put up gigantic statistical numbers, but he had two touchdowns. He, he caught all three targets thrown at him, 23 yards. Julian, you know, he clearly seems like in a timeshare worth of Buka, but probably second in that, at least for now. But he played and he contributed. And hey, when it comes to Julian Fleming, again, that's another thing not to take for granted. How did he feel afterward, Nathan? Uh, I think he was pretty ecstatic. I mean, a guy who, as Ryan Day was talking about, you know, had all this momentum in the world coming out of the summer and then has this tweak. And I wasn't at Fleming's table. If he said specifically what it was, I did confirm with him that it wasn't the shoulder. So it was something lower body, I think. And he said that it, I can't remember the exact phrase he used, but like it almost broke him or it almost, it really tore him up. Something like that, that to have everything in line and then something completely new comes up and now you're not able to play again. And this whole party's happening without you when it's supposed to be almost your coming out party. And instead to so and as i had said coming into the season like this there were ways that this season that julian fleming needed this season more than ohio state needed julian fleming this season because you had a buka you had other guys potentially there to step up uh before we knew jackson's but the jigba wasn't gonna play for a game and a half 
but to get into a game and and sort of validate everything that all these coaches and all these players have been saying for two years about Julian Fleming. Again, I know it wasn't a huge night from a receiving standpoint, numbers wise, but he made some plays tonight as a receiver. And as we've been saying now for two plus years, that's been the missing thing. Don't get whatever yardage you can get sometimes in garbage time, as you mentioned, Jane Ballard, who, by the way, looks crazy fast. Uh, but still doing that against their second string, that's one thing. But like Julian Fleming was on the field against another first string and was actually making plays as a receiver. And I think he needed that for himself. He probably needed that uh, for this whole offense to like to, to, to prove that he can be a, an essential piece of this offense. Just as a statistical point, his first two years at Ohio State, 19 catches, 160 yards, one touchdown. So he had one touchdown coming into tonight. He had two touchdowns tonight. So that's something. So, but, but like, also, but also two touchdowns as like playing like in the real first time half of a yeah. game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, like in in real time. Um, so you just you know these guys work really hard. Some of them have tough injury luck, and he got a chance to contribute. And we'll see where it goes for here from here. You know, like the Mecca's pretty darn good and i don't know that that's going to get back to anything that's like 50 50 because i just think maybe Emeka is pretty special but julian's gonna have steven if he's if he's if he's healthy he's definitely gonna have a role on this team like a real role it's not gonna be he's a backup it's not gonna be you know once one every five series or something like he'll play i just don't i don't know how much but this matters steven I saw his value tonight, and I think that's what I've been searching for since he got here is, like, why does he need to play here, right? And he's a very good blocker. I thought he sprung some blocks tonight. Even in the Rose Bowl, he was bringing some blocks, and he's a very reliable possession receiver. And you need that, especially in the red zone. That red zone touchdown he had, that's that's possession receiving. You don't need a dude to be explosive and do a bunch after it, after he catches it because he's already in the place you're trying to get to when you catch the ball. So that's fine. But I do think one thing I did notice, I'm, I'm interested to see what these snap counts are going to be. I think their snap counts actually weren't that far off from each other. I just think they do more with it when a Mecca is out to Z versus Julian because of how they use them. And I even noted that to the texters. It's like they're rotating, but there's almost this effort to get the mecca of the ball in open space when he's at Z. While with Julian, it was like, oh, we're in the red zone now. We're going to use him. Mm. Yeah, that's true. There's the, there's the snap distribution and then there's the target distribution. Mm-hmm. And one can we be equal and one can be unequal. And maybe maybe that's more of what we'll see uh, down the road. Okay, when we come back, we need to talk about Trevion Henderson and Mayan Williams and Dallin Hayden and what this run game looks like. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan and Steven, be a tech subscriber. We text during the games. I don't know if you guys who aren't tech subscribers know that. Like you're, you're watching the game. We're in the press box. And it's like, hey, it's Nathan. Hey, it's Steven. It's in my phone. It's kind of fun. 614-350-3315. You send a text to that. You get a little message back. Beep, bop, boop. You fill some stuff in. And then you get a two-week free trial. And then at the end of the two-week free trial, if you don't want it anymore, you just text S-T-O-P. And you're out for free. You're free as a bird. And if you like it, you stay. Nathan, after the game, Trevion Henderson on his left foot had a 
It was almost like the inside of the walking boot. I don't know that it was the full boot, but it was like the soft cast part. But I saw him getting on the team bus. He was walking pretty normally. He didn't seem to have a huge limp. And the thing on his foot wasn't as big as it could have been. So that seems to be slightly encouraging. But what is not super encouraging is that he only had four carries for 19 yards before he got hurt and left the game. What did we know? What did Ryan Day say? So Ryan Day characterized that injury in much the same way. He said there were a lot of guys that this applied to. And I think the defensive guys that we'll probably talk about later probably fell into this to some extent, but that they were proceeding with an abundance of caution as it applied to basically any injury. And that made a lot of sense when you start talking about once it's like 42 to 14 late in the first half or whatever. At the time Trevin Henderson came out, it's a 7-7 game. I mean, he scores that touchdown, then Toledo goes right down and scores. And... So to to have decided to like sit him at that point would be a little surprising to me, but it was actually a couple more series before he came back out to the field. I think it's definitely something that we're going to have to keep an eye on this week because the fact that he took so long to come back out, didn't really do anything at all. It wasn't like with Jackson Smith at Jigba in week one where he's like trying to stretch it out on the sideline. Like he did barely, I mean, he wasn't walking around very much at all on the sideline. Um, and to be in any kind of a boot after the game, just my antenna are up a little bit. Now, we also saw Luke Whipler in a boot after the Notre Dame game, and then he started the next week and has been fine as far as we can tell. So I'm, I'm not trying to be a harbinger of anything. It just because of Trevin Henderson's injury history, having to come out of some games. Now, he also has not missed any games, and he also has not come out of any games that were in the balance. If that makes sense. like, you know what I mean? Like there, he hasn't come out of a game where they might've missed him. It was like, you know, Indiana, I think he came out. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the other game, there were a couple other games where like something happens in the first half and it's always this abundance of caution. They keep him out. So we'll take Ryan day at his word for that, but that's what, that's the term that he used that they weren't going to push anything. They were going to play it safe because of the circumstances tonight. Does anybody know what happened? Because one minute he's scoring a touchdown and celebrating with his team and jumping all over the place. And, oh. then, another, and then the next minute, you know, Nathan, you're telling me Trayvon Henderson's in the locker room. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So, is it, Are somebody, we on alert for celebration injury? Celebration injury? Oh, Lord. Ohio I State don't fans know. love to hear that one. No I more celebrating. Somebody either texted or tweeted at me that they thought his uh, – he, he just rolled the ankle, that either he got rolled up on or he turned it wrong – on something so um i have obviously have not rewatched the game yet so um i'll, I'll keep an yeah, eye out yeah. for that but there's only gonna be four snaps to look at so it'll probably be somewhat easy to, to pinpoint uh but that's the other thing we i we're not watching the broadcast so uh and if you're watching at home and it sounds like we don't know what we're talking about when we text at you just text back at us whatever they said on the broadcast because we're not watching it so kevin wilson Head coach of the offense. I said, I do you think Kevin Wilson asked Ryan Day to call him the head coach of the offense? He's like, well, Knowles gets to be the head coach of the defense. Can I be the head coach of the offense? And Ryan Day. No, 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 no. It's just like, can I be the head coach? Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm Kevin. I'm the head coach of the offense, but you're also the head coach. No, I'm, I'm both Kevin. You can't, I'm sorry. You're the offensive coordinator and that's great. So we got Kevin Wilson after the game, which was great because we hadn't talked to Kevin Wilson and he likes, he's an expansive speaker. And when they score 11 touchdowns, we like to talk to offensive people. So I did think I'll get to my point. I thought all the passing game stuff, Toledo's overmatched, but I thought it mattered. 
because you st- it still doesn't mean that you're going to basically do whatever you want and hit every throw and make every read and every receiver's going to toe tap every catch, right? The run game stuff, I think, doesn't matter as much because I just thought that the offensive line was blowing open gigantic holes against a Mac team all night. And so you look at the stats, they ran it 44 times for 281 yards. That's 6.4 yards per carry. Dallin Hayden, a true freshman who wasn't even here in the spring, ran it 17 times for 108 yards and a touchdown. Mayan Williams, 10 carries, 77 yards. TC Caffey, who's a walk-on, Six carries, 57 yards, most of that on a 49-yard run. He had a touchdown. And Trevion only had four carries for 19 yards and one touchdown before he got hurt. I think all of that, whatever, that is not, oh, T.C. Caffey could start for half the Big Ten, right? That is, Stephen, like, oh, well, you know, Donovan Jackson was just picking up Toledo guys and throwing them in the stands every time they pulled him, right? So that was the offensive line getting to work against a MAC team. Is that fair, Stephen? Yes, I don't think there's much we, we're going to learn about the running game. The only way we were going to learn about the run game is if they didn't do those things. So, yeah. yes. So I, I think, think that's the more, the more interesting thing is they were an eye formation in the red zone. They just, my God, they want to use Mitch Rossi. Uh, they just have it. a, they, it's fine. I mean, it's I like, it. they, but it. they did. They ran eye formation. Why do you love the eye formation? You were saying it. You were like mumbling to yourself in the press box. It's like, what's this guy? Re- oh, I love the eye formation. It's like, who's saying that? It's like Steven is mumbling about I love the eye formation to himself. That's I what I say the, about peanut butter cups. Yeah, I love the creativity. I like when they bring out stuff that maybe wasn't in, you weren't even thinking about. And Dave does that sometimes when he does something. He's like, hmm, that's interesting. What can you do with it? They did it some last year against Rutgers. And I think Mitch Rossi ended up with a touchdown catch against Rutgers because of it. But we saw a lot more of it today. And I even asked Kevin was like kind of why that was. And I said, do you feel like you've just got more options in that room now so you can do it? And he kind of went into, it's a combination of Kate Stover, as we talked about before being what he is. G Scott has come along, Mitch Rossi somehow going from walk on to valuable member of this team. He's got three legit tight ends he can trust. So they can do a lot of this stuff and throw all these different looks. And this game, that I formation stuff in the red zone seemed very like, we play Wisconsin next week, so let's throw a whole bunch of stuff on film so now we can give their defensive coordinators headache trying to prepare for all this stuff. They definitely – that formation, it seemed like often was quarterback, Mitch Rossi as the true fullback, tailback behind him, Cade Stover as a t- – well, Josh Fryer as an extra offensive lineman, yeah. Cade Stover as the tight end, and then Emeka Buka as like mm-hmm. an, almost like an inline tight end, like offset yeah. on the left side – but in real tight, maybe not with his hand down, but in real tight. So it was kind of an odd formation. It was definitely the sixth offensive line with Josh Fryers, where number 41. So I, you know, I don't know. It, it's great. That sweep out of it. Yeah. Then they ran it. Right. It's like, why is it booking? It's all oh, they ran a jet sweep for a touchdown. They brought that guy. So it's great. Yeah. More formations are good, but a lot of it is just the offensive line dominated. Mm-hmm. But Nathan, I was joking. Another I was person and I were joking after the game, Kevin Wilson made a point because people were asking about Dallin Hayden and T.C. Caffey. Well, I asked about Dallin Hayden, and he brought T.C. Caffey into it. He's like, the thing I like about those guys is that they make good cuts and that they'll make, they'll make a decision and make a, a good cut and get, you know, get north-south. And he said, I remember even in, you know, in practice, Dallin Hayden would make a five-yard a five run, but I would think to myself, that was a good run because he's decisive and he made a cut and he went. 
and we were joking like that we were thought maybe Kevin Wilson would say, and that's basically what almost everybody in our room does except Trevion Henderson, because I, <laughs> and I am all about Trevion Henderson. I think you need a home run threat. I think you need to, I think a guy who can break a 50 yarder off one move and slide through a hole the way Jake had, like that is going to be invaluable, but it's funny Coaches love that. They don't want a guy who's, who's dancing, who's looking, who's doing whatever. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, Nathan, but I don't know. It's like, I don't really care what people say. I'm trying to hear like what they don't say. So he was praising the true freshman for like, make a cut, be decisive and go. And I think we all see sometimes Travion is he is a home run hitter. He can't help it. So I think he's still in his progression with that, but Coaches love guys who run for five yards. Well, ironically, though, I thought in the very brief time that Trevin Henderson was in this game tonight, we saw some of that progression. There was a, a play where he definitely had to hesitate and be patient and let the blocking unfold. And then he proceeded up into the next level and I think converted a, a first down on that. And then there was another play where I thought he had to um, – to grind a little bit to get the yardage that he got on that play and got a, a decent run under the circumstances out of it. Um, but also with Hayden, I, I think the, the perspective there is important too. the, the context of that, that this is a guy who wasn't here until the summer and like, imagine this running back room right now, Evan Pryor out of the mix with his injury and then Trevor Henderson gets banged up. And now as much as people like Mayan Williams, now you're down to only Mayan Williams. As, well, a, and, and Chip as a scholarship running back, you can. It would be Chip probably Trenum. Chip Tranum would be more involved, and maybe he still will be. Like I even said that tonight to our texters. Like if Trevin Henderson is like ruled out next week, like I think Chip Tranum has to be a running back next week against Wisconsin. I think Travion Henderson's having a J.K. Dobbins moment. Sometimes it's not as obvious as J.K.'s was, where it's like impacting his running. As far as it, like when you look at the numbers. But I do think there is an element of like, stop dancing in the hole and just run. Yeah, and that was the message that Tony Offer kept trying to get across to J.K. his entire sophomore season, and he wouldn't do it. And then his junior year, when he finally stopped doing it, he ran for two thousand yards. It, so. It's it's hard though because I do think sometimes it feels like coaches want everybody to be Mayan Williams. It's like make a decision, go, and then like run through contact, and it's. Sometimes I'm like, well, what about running away from contact? Isn't that good too? find out where the guys are and then run the other way and be fast. And so I think because there are parts of it, I like, it's just one of those things. I don't think Mayan Williams or TC Caffey or Dallin Hayden can do some of the things that Trayvon Henderson can do. Right. So you want to bring out the best of what Trayvon is, but also where you want to be physical. He can probably learn something from Mayan. I get it, but it was just, it was an interesting night, Nathan, because the O-line really did work. They just were, they just took care of business. And it's one of those things where, you know, they run to the right. They had one play, they run to the right. And it's, it's like Dewan Jones is getting out there and Donovan Jackson is pulling from the left side. I don't even think there was a touchdown. I think it was Trevion's touchdown run. I'm not even sure Donovan Jackson blocked anybody necessarily, but he sure as heck got in the way of people. And people are like, well, no, I'm trying to tackle. Can I get around you to tackle the running back behind you? And it's like, would you describe what Donovan Jackson did as a block? 
he just he was large and in and, and there. He's like a tour guide. Yeah. Just leading Travion Henderson through the hole. And it was like it was incredibly effective. <laughs> that could be that's his nickname. He's the docent. My daughter was a docent at Thurber House in uh, Columbus. They have like a little museum there. Yeah. Being a docent, it's, very, it's, a, it's a good job because it sounds fancy, right? It's yeah, like exactly. un, unpaid tour guide. <laughs> docent, it's like, I don't know. What is that? Magic, you have magical powers if you're a docent? What does that even mean? Is it kind of like being a spy? It's like, no. You just show up and kind of stand around and see if anyone shows up at the museum. So the docent, we, that, that's pretty good. You're writing a big Donovan Jackson feature. You have the opportunity to name him that in that story. We'll, we'll tune in Tuesday morning to see if that happened. Um, Cleveland.com slash OSU. Listen, I, I do kind of wonder if there was a point this week, all due respect to Dallas Gantt, if Ohio State's offense didn't say, all right, it's been fine through two weeks, but the team we're about to play, their leading tackler was here and couldn't get on the field. And if we don't come out and have a dominant, I mean, Ryan Day was saying it, take away everything you hear, I guess, at school session, however much you want. But like that was his clear message was like, you know, uh, it's been pretty good. But today we need to dominate. This should be about domination. You kind of you you needed to end the non-conference section of this schedule with something that like that made a little bit of a statement. And. Toledo just happened to be the team that got in the way of that. But this was – other than I, – I think we would probably say, like, the best sustained offense from this team before tonight was probably the, like, last 18 minutes of the Notre Dame game, where it's all just the run game out there, just kind of taking yeah. the game over. And, again, that's fine, but they needed to kind of put the whole thing together tonight, and that's what happened, and just take the game over. So in the end, 44 rushing attempts for 281, 34 passing attempts that completed 27 of them for 482. I guess we didn't do much on this. I guess I want to touch on it like really quickly before we get to the defense. Kyle McCord, five of seven for 115 yards and a touchdown. It's, again, this is tough sometimes. This is the part of the game where we have our heads down and we're really writing and we're not getting into the nitty gritty of how the backup quarterback works. I will say, Stephen, and this is not a slight at Kyle McCord. It's just the reality. I thought I looked up a couple of times. There was at least one throw where like McCord was sort of like moving to his left and tried to throw across his body, I think, to the end zone and didn't come anywhere close. And I just thought to myself, oh, well, CJ probably would have made that throw. You know, and it's just like that. And that's why one is the starter and one is not yet the starter. But sometimes it's another good way to remind yourself about what CJ Stroud is because Kyle McCord is a five star and has a heck of an arm and I think has the potential to be a very good quarterback. And sometimes when you watch him, you say, well, he's not CJ. Kyle McCord is like where CJ was last year, except he doesn't have to do it in front of the world because he's still a backup. We're all last year. There were moments where we're like, well, Justin would have done that. Oh, and yeah. It's like, and now it's like, oh, well, CJ would have done that. And eventually it's going to be, oh, well, Kyle would have done that. But yeah. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't watching. I was finishing up writing. I'll, yeah, it's fine. But I mean, it was I, good. He, he did yeah, his job. I'll, he moved the ball. He did his job. Yeah. I think the quality thing for whatever it means, uh, Stroud's QB rating was 256.8. McCord's QB rating was 256.6. So, whoa. I don't Come know what that guys. means, but I don't know. It's a point two. I know. I think, yeah. I think that's the difference between who won the job. 
think it means Toledo's defense rating was 0.00. (laughs) I will say I did. I was watching on the touchdown pass and that was the one like Jaden Ballard can, can, can scoot. No, again, he can scoot, but I was like, Oh, he ran away from a Toledo guy. (laughs) And I don't, but, but there was like, he was even with the guy. And then 10 yards later, he was no longer even with him. And it was like, well, that was the difference. Like, yeah, it was afterburners. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. That's the offensive side of the ball. Again, uh, for final context, Ohio State gained, what's the number? 763 yards, 482 through the air, 281 on the ground. That is 9.8 yards per play. That's quite good. Nine of nine in the red zone. Nine of nine. We were like, we've been making fun of them of like, oh, they score more from outside the red zone than they do from inside the red zone. So they had 11 touchdowns. Nine of them were from inside the red zone. So again, I think, you know, maybe Ryan Day's listening and trying to make a point. Oh, you think we can't score in the red zone? Well, I'm going to tell the guys to not score from outside the red zone. Actually, I think all the touchdowns from the first team offense were inside the red zone. And the two who weren't inside the red zone. That's true. Were That's TC true. Caffey's run and Jaden Ballard's touchdown. Oh, yeah. yeah. Way That's to ruin true. it. Backups. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, the uh, it was 763 yards is the second most in program history behind the 774 that they put up against Bowling Green in 2016 when Bowling Green's defensive coordinator was Ohio State safety coach Perry Eliano, which you would all know if you had read my feature on him from this past Tuesday. Let's look up who the Toledo defensive coordinator is, and we can call him and tell, oh, Vince Karras. Yeah, you're going to be Ohio State's assistant in five years. years. Cheer up, man. It's all good. Stuff happens. What are you going to do? Buckeye talk. All right. I know I'm not allowed to do that. You guys have to say it. All right. When we come back, we're going to do a little breakdown of the Ohio State defense and Daquan Finn, the Toledo quarterback next. All right. Doug Maurice. Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Daquan Finn's good. And we spent the entire game joking about which Big Ten team he's going to start for next year. I went to the postgame to talk to Jason Candle, the Toledo coach, and to Daquan Finn, the Toledo quarterback. And uh, I don't know if I should say this kind of stuff. I just like I'm just an old man who likes to who likes to tell young men things. I do this when my daughter when my daughter has plays. I mean, I just like to talk to young people of all genders and tell them when they think they've done something successfully. So whenever my daughters have plays, I walk up to everybody in the play afterward and I tell them I get right in their face and I tell them what a good job they did in the play. And my daughters make fun of me because it's like, here comes Mr. Le Maurice and he's going to suffocate me with his praise. So like I told Daquan Finn after the game, I was like, hey, man, I've been doing this for 18 years. I haven't seen a lot of other I haven't seen a lot of opposing quarterbacks come in and compete better than you did. And like I was joking, the first game I ever covered ever, ever Ohio State game was Vince Young. And so that's the bookend. I could retire tomorrow. I started with Vince Young and ended with Quan Finn. That's an exaggeration, Nathan. But this guy competed, running the ball, running to throw. He made big plays. He was their only offense. He kept them alive. And he looks like he could start for some teams in the Big Ten but we're not here to talk about how great the Toledo quarterback is. What does that mean for the Ohio State defense? Because it's not like he didn't slice and dice them, but there were moments when it looked like he was going to be sacked, where it looked like Ohio State was in a good spot, and all of a sudden he's escaping and making a play. Is that just Daquan Finn, Michigan's 2018 Mr. Football being Daquan Finn? And by the way, Cam Martinez, who is Michigan's 2019 Mr. Football, they played each other in a state championship game. 
I didn't even realize that Daquan Finn went to the same high school. He's Cam Martinez's team lost to Daquan Finn's team, and they had Daquan Finn and Sauce Gardner. And I was like, well, I don't. Maybe that's pretty good. Maybe everybody should have been a, done a better job of recruiting Martin Luther King High School in Detroit if they had Daquan Finn who went to Toledo and Sauce Gardner who went to Cincinnati and Michigan and Michigan State and everybody else in the Big Ten's like, ah, they're not Big Ten players. Well done, Big Ten. He's a good player. What does it mean about the Ohio State defense? Well, first of all, I want to say this wasn't just a conversation that was happening at the tables in the press box. It was happening in the press box bathroom where I was when I happened to be in there in the fourth quarter when Corey Dennis was in there and somebody else from Ohio State staff. Because Corey Dennis says to me, man, that quarterback's pretty good, isn't he? And I'm like, yeah, like we were just up there talking. Like, aren't there like five or six Big Ten teams that should have him at quarterback right now? And somebody else was like, like they were asking, like, which high school did he go to? Like, did he have any other offers? And there was like a whole conversation happening there about how, well, he's going to probably be in the portal and we might have to play him next year. So um, to answer your question, though, I think some of it, I think a lot of it was Daquan Finn. And facing a Ohio State defense that's down three starters. And because there were times tonight where Ohio State was getting the pressure that I think it wanted, like it was winning up front, but because Finn could evade that and make plays with his feet, like those those two long passing plays, there was like a 50-yard play and a 40-yard play. Like those plays happened because of his feet as much or more than his arm. He's getting outside the, the pocket and – uh, and but doing a good job, like keeping his head up and reading downfield and seeing an opportunity and taking it. But uh, I don't think that happens with a lot of the less mobile quarterbacks that they face in the Big Ten. Now, he's not an especially accomplished pocket passer or or passer in general. Like, again, he's like a 60 percent guy for his career was below that. I think tonight he is. So there's going to be quarterbacks that Ohio State faces that get better protected and can do more things from the pocket. But when Ohio State creates the pressure that it did tonight, it's going to have more success than it did against Finn because he can do things with that to keep a play going, to make a play. He's a playmaker than a lot of the quarterbacks Ohio State's going to see over the next nine games. Cam Martinez said, like, he's definitely the best quarterback we face so far. So, I mean, that's Tyler Buckner and James Blackman. Um, I just, I want to double check on this. Yes. Ohio state was missing three defensive starters because my call at defensive tackle didn't play Tanner McAllister at, at nickel safety didn't play. And Josh Proctor at one of the back safety spots didn't play, but are we sure? I mean, my call has been very good. My call has been very disruptive on the defensive line. They missed him. I just don't think that I don't think that Cam Martinez and Lathan Ransom, who played for Josh Proctor and Tanner McAllister, are really much different than those guys. So, like, I don't like the idea that, oh, well, if those guys would have played, anything would have been different. I don't think that's the case. So I'm not giving a caveat for the three defensive starters being out. Fair enough. I I think we we know from the Ransom Proctor thing, we know that that's essentially equal or close to it. Uh, I just think that. McAllister, as much as he plays, being a presence in the box and being as experienced as he is, having seen probably some other quarterbacks like this, I thought that maybe made a difference. Hall is actually the one that I think was maybe the the most missed out of those three in terms of containing quarterback list like this, because the penetration that he's been getting in combination with what was coming off the edge, I think would have possibly, you know, sandwiched um, Finn in a little bit more than the other guys were able to do up front tonight. 
Three sacks for Ohio State, one for Jack Sawyer, two for Javante Jean-Baptiste. Um, Steven, what did you do you watch that and feel like it says anything about the Ohio State defense, or do you watch that and say, I don't know, a guy's gonna make some plays sometimes? They only you know, they scored 21, but 21's not gonna beat Ohio State, so stuff happens. Definitely the latter, because I don't know what you want Ohio State to do. Different. Now, okay, with that being said, there are some situations where Javante Jean Baptiste was like the spy on Finn, and that should never happen because the exact thing you expect would happen in those situations happened and Finn got loose. But there are other times where it's like, if that's a different quarterback, JT has a sack, but Finn is a very good quarterback and a very elusive runner. So instead of it being a sack, it's a big pickup and the drive stays alive. I don't. Everybody did their job, and the uh, better player said, okay, so what? You did your job, and I did mine too. It does make me think about down the line of J.J. McCarthy, who can do some of that stuff, or a playoff game versus Bryce Young, who literally showed us against Texas that he can do that, or Caleb Williams. Those are the first three guys that come to mind of, of people Ohio State might face down the road who can do that exact same thing, except with them, those guys, it won't just be 21 points. It can be 35. Daquan Finn, 10 of 19, 153 yards passing, two touchdowns, one pick. On the ground, seven carries, 70 yards. The thing that it conjures for me is the thing that I thought at times last year with this defense, which is when you have a playmaker offensively, whether it was C.J. Verdell in the Oregon game or, you know, the Blake Corm run to start the second half for Michigan, that kind of thing. And you think, well, there's a really good offensive player making a big play. And then I think, well, who's the defensive player who's going to stop it, right? Who's, who's the equivalent playmaker defensively? Now, the thing of it is, I think we've, we're seeing the playmaking up front, right? We've seen Mike Hall be disruptive. We've seen J.T. Tumaloa do his job. We've seen Jack Sawyer being the jack and roaming around and being a pain in the neck, right? We've seen Zach. So... But if you break that, Nathan, those four guys do their job and get pressure, but now you've broken the pocket and you're out on the loose. I think I still have a couple questions about the other seven guys on the field for Ohio State defensively. Listen, the first touchdown, he Finn escapes to his right. He has a receiver running from his left to his right across the field. That receiver beats Cam Brown, and the guy's open, and he hits him for a touchdown. The the second touchdown throw was he bails out to the left, and he's absolutely just chucking it up to try to give his guy a chance. He underthrows it at the goal line, I think almost maybe on purpose or just because the way his body was turned, he couldn't throw it any farther. And then the balls in the end is Denzel Burke, right? And it's like sometimes when the ball's underthrown, a receiver can make a better play on the ball than the corner can, and that happens. But also the ball was in the air, and the Ohio State player didn't make a play on the ball. And then the run, he had a run where he just like slipped through three guys and then got outside and ran away from six guys. Those are the moments, Nathan, when I say in that back seven – Show me Ryan Shazier, show me Malik Hooker, show me Marshawn Lattimore, show me A.J. Hawk, show me Jerome Baker, show me difference makers that, uh-oh, a playmaker is on the run, is on the move, and now you need a playmaker to stop him. Ronnie Hickman's good. I get it. Steel Chambers is improving. But I still have some of those questions, Nathan. Am I wrong? No, I think it's a fair thing to bring up, especially in the context of 
I wasn't so much bothered by the catch on that 50 yard touchdown or the four, however long it was, the Burke one, as the fact that Burke then just did nothing with him after the catch. Like there was, you got to put more of an effort into taking that guy down at, at the spot, at, at the contested spot of that catch. Like don't let him get in the end zone. Um, I thought just not impressed really from a physical standpoint with a lot of things that Denzel Burke is doing right now. And on the run, on that play, I remember it. I think it was Tumaloao on that side, and then Eichenberg came on the blitz, and it was one of those yeah. where they do a lot where they're showing blitzes and backing off, or they're coming. And on that one, he showed it, and then he came. And so those guys are coming in tandem right next to each other. I think Finn saw that very early on and knew that that gap was there and just kept it, and he knew he had one guy to beat. I can't remember if it was Simon or I Chambers. Think it, it feel, he stepped out of an attempted like ankle yeah. tackle, right? Mm-hmm. That would have been for like a five-yard game. I think it might have been Cody Simon. But he had the angle that whole time, and he knew that once, if he could beat that guy, it was almost like an ISO. Like We knew once he could beat that guy that it was off to the races. And that's where it becomes the safety-driven defense that Jim Knowles is talking about. Like I think he's putting a lot of that on those guys because he's going to stay – that aggressive with the blitzes with Eichenberg and those guys in the the front six there. Um, He's going to keep those guys on the attack and it's going to be up to those guys in the back end to be uh, really solid and, and choke a lot of that stuff off. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that. That's what he means when he says safety driven. It's that like, you got to be able to, you know, keep the storm from going crazy because that's what it is. It's the D line is very much getting a lot of pressure regardless of whether they're blitzing or not. But then also Tommy Eichenberg and still chambers and um, Kate, uh, not Kate Silver. Wow. Um, um, Cody, Cody Simon, Simon. They're back there with them. So all of a sudden it's on those Ford's guys in the secondary. If they get past all that to make sure it doesn't end up being a 45 yard play. And those times when that's happened, Ohio State's typically gotten off the field. The times it hasn't happened, we've seen the 54-yard pass from Notre Dame. We saw the big plays that we saw from Toledo tonight. And again, 21's not going to beat Ohio State, right? That that's So yeah. they scored 77. So you give up well, three. The whole offense, except it would have been against Notre Dame. Notre Dame, yeah. Notre Dame tried to choke, but like Notre Dame was never going to score. Right. Notre Dame was choking right. the stuffing out of the football and limiting possessions. Mm-hmm. So in a normal game, right? So that's – but – I, I do think, and again, we've, we like had our whole discussion during the week of like, well, like, should we be constantly trying to, he was a good dual threat quarterback. There are better, right? And even like Bryce Young, isn't really a dual threat quarterback. He's not going to run in the zone read, but he's maneuverable, right? He can, he can, and it's the thing of it, Caleb Williams, JJ McCarthy. Yeah. Conversation. Yeah. Cause they'll, I think Michigan, I think that I think and they're definitely going to play Michigan. The other stuff is a maybe, but Everybody, it feels like, believes in the Knowles scheme. Everybody being Ryan Day, the Ohio State players, the Ohio State fan base. But once the scheme doesn't matter because the scheme, like, now it's crazy time, I I don't know if the back seven talent standard is still high enough. Like, is there a first, when Daquan Finn is doing that, is there a first round pick trying to stop him in the back seven? So I don't mean to keep banging that drum, Nathan, because I banged it. I said that all last year, but when it's Sunny Styles, Sunny Styles lit somebody up. <laughs> he was, he was, was flashing a lot. 
Like, and that's not a shot against anybody else, but when it's Sonny Styles and Jordan Hancock and CJ Hicks next year, then I might not be saying this anymore. But for the moment, I still am saying it. We spent a lot of time last year talking about among the many problems that defense had, that there was just no real star power. And there is emerging star power on that front four for sure between the two ends and my call. Like, I think we all, well, it's here with hall. And I think we see it coming if it's not here already with the ends. And, but I think you're, I think what you're saying is astute that I don't know that we look at the back seven and say, like, is there, I mean, we, we use the shorthand of like that all American standard, not that these guys have to be all Americans, but like who on that back seven, are you saying is like, in the, in the conversation to be an All-American this year. We thought it was probably actually going to be Denzel Burke. Wouldn't he have been like the number one candidate in a lot of ways? Yeah. And that is not happening. That The opposite of that is happening. So they've got to – It's. It, I, I still, though, am trying to exactly get a complete grasp on what – the the Knowles approach is because again, he's going to keep like Eichenberg. He's using him as a guided missile constantly. And Chambers is coming a lot and he's blitzing with safeties too. Like he it's, it's a different style of playing defense than certainly what we saw these last couple of years. And probably even the, what you were seeing Doug, right? Like when you were talking about those years when it was Shazier and these other guys, like this is a, uh, just a, a very aggressive approach, a very downhill, constant approach. And I think it changes a little bit. It's not been don't break, but it's definitely we are going to do this and we are going to make you have to win on big plays um, on uh, like on our terms. And you're going to do it a couple times a game, whatever, but we're going to win on our terms often enough that it's worth that calculus. And, and listen, they gave up 21 points, right? I'm just trying to think like it's, you know, a lot. The defense is better. Oh, the defense is better. But and, yeah. And, and I, I do think there's a difference between if we saw Toledo come in and go on like multiple methodical drives, I think that would actually be a bigger concern to me than the way they scored 21 points tonight, which was very dependent on a unique athlete at the quarterback position who, again, they exploited a lot in the passing game too, like 10 of 19. You're going to probably take that most nights. And listen, one of the reasons that I like this offensive performance, the offensive performance from Ohio State is because it was drives. There was an eight and seven and nine. And like, it wasn't just, I mean, sometimes Marvin Harrison is just going to smoke a dude. And it's like, well, that was the easiest 60 yard touchdown you ever saw, but is that going to always be there? Right. So I like the Ohio state offensive performance because they were stringing stuff together and Toledo didn't do that. It's a very good point, Nathan. And if Toledo had done that, that would be more of a thing, man, they just let Toledo run right over him, but projecting, right. You, you also, I don't know, Stephen. I don't know. It makes me. Th- I don't. I don't think I would say. I believe that Ohio State is vulnerable to the big play. I don't. That is not the word I could use uh, that I would use in this situation. But I wonder 
what great playmakers will do against them. I just and and the the bottom line is as we said when you get into a close game when you do ha- when they get an offense that can string together some drives and when you play a defense that won't give up seventy seven, man like right CJ Verdell run up the gut last year the Blake Corum run right I mean it's and and it's not even you know could somebody make a play where in the moment you feel where the Ohio State defense is still not quite there on the championship level that's all. And that Daquan Finn was like the appetizer of that. Uh, And maybe not. And maybe not. Nathan and I actually discussed this last week when we were talking about is Ohio State's defense a bend or break defense. And that was a a bend, don't break defense. That was kind of the thing the last couple of years is don't be a bend, don't break defense. It just kept breaking. This is not that. And when you have a defensive coordinator come out and say things like, the understanding that you're going to give up some big plays, but you don't want to give up. What was it more uh, less than five is undefeated yeah. or something like that. And he even, yeah. he even kind of joked and said it with Ohio state in this offense is more like seven or eight. They know that they're going to give up big plays, but is this defense susceptible to eight or nine of them against a really good team or is yeah. it susceptible to four or five? Cause if it's just four or five, then Okay. You gave up a 54 yard play, but the offense also scored 50 points. So if you don't think the other team's going to score 50 points, who cares? But if we're talking in a world where we feel like Wisconsin next week is Braylon Allen's going to have like seven runs where he runs for 30 or more yards, then we're having a different conversation here. That's a defense that maybe isn't as good as we thought they are. And I don't know if I'm ready to go that far yet. But it is something I'm on alert for because now they're going to play a real playmaker. And Finn is like we we've we've hyped up Finn enough. Braylon Allen's an NFL running back, and so we're going to see a lot next week. That we're going to find out some things about this defense against Wisconsin that maybe the first three opponents weren't going to be able to show us. If I use the poker term "shove your draws," do you guys know what that means? I don't shove my draws. Shove your drawers. Shove is, your draws. Yeah, it's, it sounds like I, I wonder, shove my drawers. No, I, I don't know what that if, is. That that Kmart commercial. <laughs> uh, I I wonder if Jim Knowles has, has played a lot of poker because he seems like a guy who shoves his draws. Like if you have open ended straight draws or if you have flush draws, like if you're talking about Texas Hold'em, like there's more cards to come. I'm getting. I don't want to get too in the weeds with this, but like he seems like a guy who who doesn't have it's you, the way you're attacking in those cases. You're you have a prom. You don't necessarily always have a probability to win, but when you win, you're going to win big. And I think it's just that's kind of how it seems like he attacks that sometimes. Hard, you're gonna you're, you're yeah you're well you you know it's baked into the game theory of it that you're gonna lose once in a while, and it's gonna maybe even put points on the board the other way. But you win so much of the time, the rest of the time, that it makes it worthwhile. Yeah, because right, if you give up a big play, but then when it works, you get a strip sack. Then right, as opposed mm-hmm. to I have a gave, gave up a big play, and when it works, we only give up six yards. It's like, well, then that's not worth it, right? You've got to have. So I do, and I do think it almost would be. We did not get Jim Knowles after the game, which leads us to believe we'll get him on Tuesday. The idea of saying now that we know what he defines this stuff, right? Five or less undefeated. If, if, okay, Jim, these are the three, I will have to count how many big plays there were that fit it. Maybe there were more than the three touchdowns, 
But there were 10, according to Ohio State stats, six on the ground and four through the air. And they classified as a big play passing is anything 15 yards or more, and a big play rushing is 10 yards or more. Okay. Well, that's a lot then. Actually, actually that's too many. <laughs> um, double what he that, said. Is undefeated. Yeah. <laughs> so. but, but there's a part of it where I, I wonder, it's worth trying to have a discussion with Jim Knowles to see if there's some vibe of him with what both of you are saying that his reaction to the three touchdowns by Toledo would be like, yeah, well, you know, sometimes you're not, you're not going to win them all, but we're going to take those risks. Like that he's not, it's w- w- Steven, do you think there could be a world where Jim Knowles is not bothered by the three touchdowns? Cause stuff happens. Yes. And I think, well, no, I don't want to say not bothered because he'd rather not give him up, but to the sense of it. Yes. I think, the way he pairs, the way he talks about this offense with how he talks about like his defensive mind, I think he thinks that this Ohio State's defense is always back-to-back three and outs away from this, the game being over. Because I'm just going to use this game. Any chance Toledo had of keeping up in this game went out the window when they had a three and out where it was only negative five yards. And then the very next drive, they had a three and out and it was only nine yards. Because then you got the ball back and you're down 21 to seven and the game's over. Because now it's like, can you play keep up with Ohio State? No, you cannot, Toledo. And so maybe that's a little bit of this as well is every week you can't have back to back three and out drives against Ohio State. And if they do that, it's kind of like, gotcha, because we're going to keep scoring. And there's no way you now you're, it's not so much playing keep up, keep up, you're trying to catch up. And you can't do that with this offense, clearly. Uh, of the 10 big plays Ohio State gave up tonight, six were in the third or fourth quarter. Now, Ohio State did have a lot of like starter or very close to starter caliber defensive players on the field for quite a bit of the second half. But that's also some more context to this. That yeah, the, right. the, they four gave up four when it was like four in the – yeah, so. Okay. This will be, be an interesting conversation. I think like – I, I hope we can, Nathan, you need to boil down your poker question into like 28 words for a news conference that almost question. Seems like, yeah, that almost seems like somehow <laughs> trying to get him off to the side than trying to. Uh, you could just ask him like straight up, hey, can you, do you know how to push your draws and see where he goes with it? I, I also wonder, do, do we think that Jim Knowles has never played poker in his life because he doesn't have time for that nonsense? Or do we think that Jim Knowles has a World Series of Poker bracelet from 1996 in Omaha? Because it's like, Jim Knowles played poker. It's like, I've been playing poker since I was six in Philly. I learned on the streets. Which one is it, Nathan? I think it's much more likely the second thing than the first thing that you would have never played. I think he just has, the way his brain works, seems like it would work very well on a poker table to start singing um you got to know when the hold up and see what he does <laughs> all uh, of the crazy middle-aged white guy stuff that we have said on this podcast and steven was the one who just started singing kenny rogers <laughs> kenny rogers i only know that because it was like a commercial for a while yes i think they sold cars with it or something it's like yeah. a chevy truck okay so that'll do it we talked passing game we talked running game we talked defense uh, Jesse Mirko had one punt and put it at the half yard line. So that was good. And they didn't kick any field goals. So 
And the, the walk-on kicker still did the kickoffs. So that was good. Okay. We will be back uh, later for, I guess, the Monday pod. And then it's back with Ohio State, Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, players on Tuesday. The Buckeyes 3-0. and I wonder, I think they should be number two in the country. I'll, who knows where they'll wind up. I think they should be ranked higher than Alabama. I actually, I have no idea why they why they wouldn't be ranked higher than Alabama, except I guess the Texas game was on the road and Ohio State's Notre Dame game was at home. But you know, they 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 took care of business, like in a in a way. And it doesn't mean that you should move up the rankings because you beat Toledo, but they dominated with what they do best. And I think if anybody was hedging on that, um, you wouldn't be anymore, which might allow you to vote them second behind Georgia. Okay. That's it. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Go read cleveland.com slash OSU. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.